so our next subject for the director series is picked and with a short but interesting nasty and explosive filmography including one very different movie made in hollywood different in terms of his work it's time to do kirk wong chi kung justice Starting with his debut in Triad and Michael Chan Waiman territory called The Club, and following with Ken Chang and Teddy Robin in the horror comedy Lifeline Express, this is the director series on Kirk Wong, and my name is Kennedy, and with me is Tom K.W. <laughs> So welcome back to the director series and uh, yeah it was not going to be just one director and then the series was done and over with. We did Nam Night Choi for quite a long time, we did him justice I think, it was good fun and I always had Kirk Wong in the back of my head because it's, um, it's a small filmography which makes it easy to do but that's not the primary reason, it's an interesting filmography and in short Tom KW I suppose be- before we go into Kirk Wong's bio that we know of, I can just ask you this. How familiar are you with his movies? I mean, is it 3-4? Is it extensive? And uh, is there a general like and dislike so far? I think there's, there's, a, there's a general like at this point seeing about kind of half of his filmography. Um, looking forward to kind of just plowing through the rest and seeing kind of, you know, if he's a director that, for me at the moment, has a fairly kind of solid um, hand uh in directing um and obviously in the the the, the genre probably most people know for was kind of gritty kind of you know action dramas but be, you know, it's, it's interesting to see stuff like the film we're talking about tonight um you know go and see stuff like uh health warning aka uh flash which kung fu so it's going to be interesting to see how he is um same with nam no choi it's nam no choi really seeing how he is you know in a in a genre that is not particularly his kind of strong hands or you know i i i await to be um i await to be uh you know my opinions differed um i always be my opinions stay the same uh <laughs> i await anything <laughs> give me anything <laughs> right uh, we'll give you uh, in this filmography we can give you everything actually because uh, all of it's available uh so um yeah it'll be as extensive as can be so uh uh, follow us for the next few episodes, uh, but first, before we start discussing uh, Kirk and the cast and crew, some contact information. This is the director series on the Podcast on Fire Network website for this, all the other shows, and the bonus episodes, podcastonfire.com, and the uh, email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We can uh, achieve and receive feedback on Facebook as well. We have a page that you can click and like, facebook.com forward slash POF network. We have a discussion group as well that you can reach by clicking the link on that page in the info box or typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box and that will get you the group. And follow us on Twitter as well, twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. I reviewed uh, a handful of Kirk Wong movies on SoGoodReviews.com including the two movies tonight and I also do video reviews of my 
current output, the Taiwanese stuff, the category free stuff, ninja, sploit, ninja exploitation and all of that at sleazykvideo.com. It's very, you know, it's hard for me to, to pronounce ninja because the J thing, we've learned that over the years, the J thing is not natural for me to like go J, J. It's, <laughs> it's uh, natural for me to go soft because I'm soft and I'm a pussy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you to say it. <laughs> and follow me on Twitter as well, the pussy that is me, at twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. Follow us on iTunes as well. You can subscribe to the director series on there. And if you like this show, please leave a little rating, a star rating, and a comment. And we would uh, very much appreciate that, uh, good or bad, but uh, don't be a dick about it, please. Just be constructive and. Uh, and, uh, no dicks, they, just pussies. On the, yeah, uh, we we won't go network. to the lengths of actually going to your home like that boxer did in the UK at the time of recording uh, recently. But, uh, you know, just behave. Just be nice about it. We may you. shit in an envelope and send it to you, unfortunately. <laughs> because so, I have done so in the past. <laughs> I have done so in the past and it was effective. All right. <laughs> And also you can stream us on Stitcher if you don't like to download podcasts to your device. Uh, application is available to your iPhone, iPad, Android and BlackBerry. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Podcast on Fire Network and that will get you the option to add each show, including the director series. And uh, at, at, like an episode or two ago, when you were trying to talk about VC in my show, you ended up talking about poop. We just did, so don't yes. don't, don't, don't talk about it again. Just say in brief what hey. you do occasionally over at vcinemashow.com. Vcinema. Reviews, me do. Is it, are you, are you Joe? all of a sudden? Yeah. Me do, me, me do reviews at the cinema show. Mm? Don't um, put me out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in short, we're done with the contact information. Let's talk about the club from 1981. Oh, exactly, we're into it, like. Fast tracking into it. Plot, first of all, from IMDb. Sai, played by Michael Chan, is a powerful trial member who engages in the bloody war about the ownership of one local gang-operated restaurant nightclub. And uh, this is where the writer kind of um, fills the plot with uh, some of his own thoughts at the same time. The film is so filled with violence that it becomes its most important character too and replaces the plot, in quotation marks, easily and with purpose. Not too unfair. Not too unfair. Uh, on Kirk Wong and Michael Chan, before we discuss the movie, uh, there's not much background on Kirk Wong, uh, despite him being interviewed on various discs along the way for French DVD releases of Gunman. I think he's done one or two interviews for Crime Story. Uh, but uh, sometimes, even uh, without the aid of biographical info, sometimes the cinema speaks for itself. Uh, you know, you, you get enough of a grip on him as a creator. And... Uh, there's some other projects that have more documented aspects about them, such as Crime Story and what went on with Kirk and uh, the cast and crew and the project during those. But we will discuss, for instance, Crime Story in depth when we get to it. So we'll keep it simple for now. Kirk studied fashion at Croydon College in the UK. And I spoke um, a few weeks ago with Mike Leader about uh, Kirk, if he knew anything in general about Kirk, because uh, he, you know, he, he, he's rubbed elbows with... With the greats over there in Hong Kong over twenty plus years, uh, but and um, but but the thing is, he met uh, Kirk in England. Uh, he was a graduate of the college too, Croydon College, that is, uh, and he met Kirk when they were both wearing Croydon College shirts. So it's kind awesome. of kind of like uh, yeah, two awesome people kind of meeting on uh, on the grounds that you don't necessarily expect. But uh, 
Later came back to Hong Kong, so did Kirk, and he started to work as an art director um, first in the movie industry. He has uh, one credit on uh, on a movie. I think it was a later movie, although it might have been shot earlier, but he has one credit as art director on the Shaw Brothers comedy, A Friend from Inner Space, with uh, Sekin, and uh, I think it's about a little kid who who gets a friend from inner space, I suppose. (laughs) Some kind of space sci-fi, sci-fi kind of a thing. Not the most memorable comedy, but there you go. But uh, moving on from that, uh, he did debut as director with the club in 1981. And it's said to be an accurate portrayal of Hong Kong street life of the time anyway. Something that the lead Michael Chan could um, attest to and has spoken about. Kirk, as Tom said, is also known for his um, gritty and tough action. Is known for his gritty and tough action, but also have dabbled in various genres over that sparse filmography, like sci-fi, like horror, and the very un-Kirk Wong action comedy made in Hollywood called The Big Hit, starring Mark Wahlberg, Lou Diamond Phillips, and a few other people. Uh, that was very... Feel it! Feel it! But you know what, Marky Mark is uh, kind of still new on the block at that point. I think Lou Diamond Phillips is the star of that movie. He's absolutely hilarious in the big hits. Yeah, look forward to covering it again, man. And it, it was, I, I say un-Kirk Wong because Kirk, while doing action, he didn't do John Woo type of action, but they clearly wanted a uh, John Woo type of uh, action aura in that movie. Uh, John was even on it as executive producer, I think. But despite that, it was very fun. Yeah. Definitely, man. I'm looking forward to revisiting, revisiting it and covering it because I think, like, either, although it's very unkirk Wong, it's, uh, it's it's a lot of fun and probably one of the more successful transitions to um, from Hong Kong to US uh, feature films. Which you know, I feel uh, kind of like a lot of the guys that came over. It, it, it's the most kind of without pretense, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's just fun. And managed to strike that. I mean, a movie like Double Team that Choi Hawk produced clearly wasn't meant, meant to be taken serious, but it just didn't work thoroughly. I mean, it had some good bits in it, but the big hit kind of just uh, clicked. Yep. And uh, that um, that is not super common as such. So I'm um, also looking forward to revisiting it. Revisiting it. Subsequently, a 2000... Uh, uh, 2000 TV pilot called The Disciples starring Ice-T was directed by Kirk but uh, due to some uh, uh, problems during production editing and all of that it's now credited to Alan Smithy which is that generic name uh, slapped on a movie when the director doesn't want to have his name on a movie anymore which signals trouble of some kind uh, but it was only a a pilot that never went into uh, Never went into a series and all of that. And as of 2013, the latest project, because it's been quiet. Kirk's been very, very quiet. Uh, latest project announced is something called Six. And it's on Hong Kong Movie Database as a pub- People's Republic of China movie. There's no other details. It was once, I heard from Mike Leader again, a proposed Five Venoms remake. But uh, it's now increased to Six. It might move production over to the U.S. and instead be about genetically enhanced warriors. <laughs> and uh, whether or not this will be a Kirk Wong movie in the end, that remains to be seen. Feels like an Avenging Fist type situation. <laughs> Are we making a Tekken movie? Are we not? <laughs> again. <laughs> Trying again to make it. Uh, 
But you know, if it's on it, I look forward to it. I think Kirk, Kirk uh, could provide here a touch or two. But um, I'm very interested to see it, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not very interested in a Five Venoms remake as such because um, you know that that doesn't spark interest. Uh, uh, but but again, I, I I can take that back at the same time. If Kirk Wong was attached to a Five Venoms remake, I just hope that it will be uh, ha- have some chops and not be dead on boring CGI, blah blah, just uh, tired. You know, uh, maybe it will have some spark, but uh, we'll never know if six will become five again or seven. Wait, hundred. The thing is, you've seen Kirk Walk on screen as well. Occasionally, he's an actor. He's a villain in Long Arm of the Law 3 versus Andy Lau. Kind of the main villain. And he's shortly in the big heat, but pretty much everybody remembers his scene because his uh, fingers gets, or hand meets a gory demise in the big heat. Just uh, You see his... uh, just fingers hanging on, you know, by a thread, and he's holding on to it. And like, ah! And, and the big heat was kind of known for that to be not just, you know, heroic bloodshed violence, but occasionally dabbled in, you know, harsher, like, gore for, for the genre. Like, whoa, 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 oh, 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 that's cool. <laughs> so, and also. A, a very minor movie that I saw, I mean, and I, I didn't pick up on the fact that. I thought I recognized someone when I saw it. Is that Kirk? Let me check. I think that is Kirk Wong. Uh, he's in a movie called Just Like Weather from um, 83, 84, I, f- I believe. It's directed by acclaimed new wave director Alan Fong, who did Ah Jing and Father and Son. And that is like a doc- part, fic- uh, part like regular movie, part documentary about this uh, couple trying to get, uh, Chinese couple trying to get. Uh, um, a green card in the US, I believe. And Kirk Wong appears briefly, uh, but, but it's a kind of a confusing uh, experiment because Alan Fong, the director himself, appears interviewing the main couple every now and again in the movie. So it seems like, hey, is this a documentary? But Kirk Wong is not, is playing someone else. And other sections of the movie are clearly, you know, a regular movie. So Alan Fong was experimenting with um, with the documentary fiction format in, in, in Wonder. Oh. Okay, and uh, you know Alan Fong is a is a good director to follow. I mean, he made very straight, dramatic movies. Uh, arguing uh, very much like Fallen Sun. I haven't seen because it's never been available subtitled for for or for subtitled for a long time. Uh, but just like Weber is out on was out on May VCD. So if you're interested in one of the new wave directors of Hong Kong that made the dramas, uh, you know Alan Fong is very much. Uh, worth following um just like Anne hoy was worth following in the early 80s alan fong uh, brought some good stuff as well and michael chan is the star of the club and uh, we'll talk a little bit about him one of the legitimate tough guys on hong kong cinema screens that could make you shit your pants and uh, no wonder uh, michael was a triad member once and sport some heavy duty tattoos to show for oh, yeah. it i suppose his uh, ma- magnificent uh, wings on his uh, on his chest or his shoulders or what is it? Uh, uh, Michael applied his street fighting skills to actually uh, professional fighting eventually, and uh, he studied martial arts from an early age and, and turned to boxing and kickboxing uh, eventually. And he was crowned the Southeast Asian Kung Fu champion in 1972, and the 70s also therefore meant a move into Kung Fu cinema as well. With roles in Angry Tiger, Bravest Fist against Betty Tingpei, Bruce Lee's uh, Old Flame. And uh, he was also in a very good and underrated Chen Sing movie called Thou Shall Not Kill But Once. 
kind of solid dramatic for uh, dramatically for a kung fu movie and also broken oath and the shaolin heroes for director wu man i always remember shaolin heroes for two things it's a it's a good movie it has plenty of Shaw Brothers stars and actually has Shaw Brothers sets as well. I believe Wu Ma were able to use Shaw Brothers sets despite not making a Shaw Brothers movie. And the design of Michael Chan as the primary well he fights him at the end so I suppose he's the prime bad guy. Michael Chan just looks fantastic in that movie. You know they, they I, I'm so bad at describing all of that stuff. Maybe we should get your girlfriend in here to like properly describe why why he's dressed well, why he's costumed well. She knows fashion better than I do. But you know, watch the Shaolin Heroes or it's known as the Heroes as well. Very, very good uh, um old school um costume martial arts epic by Wu Ma. Seventy nine eighty second. So uh could have been a Shaw Brothers movie, but um, yeah, I really, really liked it. Uh, so uh, he is obviously, aside from the old school stuff, you know, a frequent character actor in triad roles, including on, you know, in here in, in the club, and as late as in Pang Ho Chung's debut movie, You Shoot, I Shoot. Did you see that at any point? Yeah, mate. Yeah, it did. yeah. I think um, I was going to comment. Like, I think he's not an actor who's afraid to. Um you know, kind of uh, subvert his, his image later in his career. Which exactly. Which is always nice to see. He didn't kind of keep trying to, like, you know, bring out the kind of the old hard man image. You know, he was getting a bit older, so he decided to kind of subvert it. And he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a hoot in in that film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, by the end, and this is not spoiling anything, but for some reason, the main, the main plot of You Shoot, I Shoot is about um, Eric Cott and Chung Tuck Ming teaming up. Uh, he's an assassin, Eric Cott, and Chung Tuck Ming is a film student, and they film their... Uh, the murders and uh, gain gain a name because of that. You know, you shoot, I shoot. There you go. By the end, they have to stage an assassin, an assassination, and Michael Chan is there, wants to be there, and has some input as to how he's going to be portrayed, and kind of just ruins the shoot. You know, like <laughs> like stupid pretentious actors would. You know, so they they tap into that like. I don't think my character would do that necessarily, and obviously he has he has a lot of yaysayers around him as well because he's the boss. And everybody, everybody tries to ruin that shot and try. We gotta bring in doves at one point, you know. Someone suggests, "Oh no!" <laughs> Such a hilarious, um, hilarious movie. Yeah. So, um, um, he's also in as late uh, again playing a tri role. Maybe not a parody in it as such, but he's in the Daniel Chan twenty twelve triad movie, simply called Triad. How could he not? <laughs> exactly, and he's still around. So uh, all of that. Uh, you know, share whatever else notes like or thoughts on Michael Chanda that you that you have. I mean, um, it's hard not to pick up a liking for Michael Chan, and it's hard to not come across him as well because he's in a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 a presence that you know he's always kind of his presence has always been felt. He's appeared in you know a lot of stuff, and he's one who's always kind of you know shifted with the times. Um, in from period kind of when in his young days, kind of. Um, you know, youthful kind of in his kung fu roles, and then from you know, kind of big, big, uh, big kind of bad guy appearances in uh, you know stuff like Jackie Chan films um, throughout the eighties, and then yeah, as, as he's getting into the kind of the new decade, he's he's not afraid to kind of parody himself and appear in you know comedy roles and roles that kind of knock fun a bit at um, at his triad image. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's good that he balances that, and he's not an actor that's been afraid to kind of shift that because you think you know a lot of actors who possibly have had 
a career and have had um, success in that image would maybe kind of stick to it and would be a bit afraid to kind of, you know, poke fun at it. But he's not, and, and he does, and I think it's um, he makes him more endearing um, to us. That he's, uh, you know, he's able to do that and wants to do that. Yeah, I agree. I enjoy his standard presence, if you will, as a trier, but it's elevated more in my eyes when the material is there for him. Uh, like in said, you shoot, I shoot, but... It, also in, although his role is not that different, but also in movies like Once Upon a Time in Triad Society, the young and dangerous spin-off for Francism's character, Ugly Kwan, which is a pretty satirical movie at the same time. So he, he's, he's made to fit that um, fun material as well. But he's in dramas as, um, as well. Uh, although he's playing a triad in Lost in Time, you know, he, he's in dramas and the uh, Derek Key movie, Lost in Time. So... I also love when, um, in particular back then in the 80s, uh, he, he went some nutty places as well. In particular, he plays a psychotic killer kickboxer in Dressed for Life. Uh, um, it has an apartment filled with like bloody mannequins as well, so it's uh, all out cuckoo. <laughs> uh, so look up, look up Dressed for Life for the unusual Chan Wai Man role as well. So let's talk about the debut movie of Kirk Wong with Michael Chan um, called The Club. And uh, we've, um, we've uh, set it all up for you that this is going to be the epic debut by Kirk Wong. Or oh, have we set it up or will it be or is it? So that's a long-winded way of saying, in short, Tom, what did you in think short, of The Club? Yeah. The Club is... Um, yeah, my views haven't, haven't changed on it from kind of, you know, my initial viewings now. Uh, it's it's a it's a fairly kind of average prior drama, but picked up slightly by some okay chopper action and the presence of Michael Chan. Um, they're probably the big two kind of points <laughs> um, to really see this film and really kind of what makes this film stand out. Because I think without them, it, it would kind of get a bit lost in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's a debut movie, and. The, the the only thing I don't quite know is if if it is considered by someone and and and, and I don't I don't care if it is I I am no place to disagree harshly but if it is considered an important stepping stone for the gangster movie in Hong Kong I personally don't quite see that impact uh, I list some other movies that I think are worthy of that but it's short. It's basic and eventually quite ferocious, so there's no excuse not to watch it uh, uh, because there's Michael Chan-led violence here, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's all solid, uh, solid. Um, uh, it's made in the early '80s, and the '80s new wave in Hong Kong uh, is is fascinating for a lot of reasons. I mean, there were upcoming filmmakers, a new generation of filmmakers coming in with new visions, uh, with social commentary and with, and with a gritty sense of conveying genre. I mean, we're talking Anne Hoy, we're talking Choi Hak, but uh, the club as a fit within all this, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's in the gritty category but, category, but gangster movies weren't reborn at this time, you know, coming with new train of thoughts in, at this time. You know, they were around, but important stepping stones for me anyway are movies like cops and robbers by alex chung man on the brink with alex uh, by alex chung again and long on of the law a few years later so if the, the club is not um, i'm sure fresh in some way but not the movie where i say hey hey it starts right here no i would even class it particularly as you know a blueprint or particularly as kind of you know, a, a dry run of the of those films. It's completely a different category. Um, 
I wouldn't say. I mean, I, I can't see it. its influence being felt throughout the years as much as you know the films you mentioned, Ken, and films co- coming even later, kind of in the you know gangster triad genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think that's probably why it gets a bit kind of lost um, because it's it's neither kind of particularly influential and it's neither a particularly great great film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of that awkward awkward middle ground. There's a lot to like about the film. Um, but I think because it doesn't fit in those two categories, it's somewhat, yeah, gets a bit lost sometimes. But the low budget and a simple style, you know, fits this world and material, you know. It and helps it. But, and it opens, you know, with his most stylish excursions in sepia tone, uh, where we are, you know, neatly put into the world of, uh, of triads and chopper action, you know. Yeah, but it, what it is, is early on, it's the going good, going good montage for yeah. the trio of Michael Chan, Norman Choi who's in this movie and the third one in that um, group is um, actor Fong Yao. So it's all them being, you know, lower ranked triads kicking ass. You know, mach- yeah. g- kicking ass with machetes and you know, it's going good. And cut to present where they're, you know, at the top of the chain and all of that, you know, living at the mansion and, and in that very odd opening sequence at the pool yeah. you know you remember that strange yeah uh, i mean michael chan is swimming swimming about and diving and fong yao is sitting on the Ooh, side look at his tattoos exactly <laughs> and, and didn't it end with them like uh, you know coming together and I, not yeah. in an embrace or anything but like you know we're brothers or i don't know it was just okay uh, well sure i mean i mean people talking about kind of the homoerotic nature maybe of bear tomorrow this is a bit more to the homoerotic side, I would say, mm. uh, than something like that. It's a bit, it's a bit strange. Yeah, after me, no, not that it, there's anything of, wrong with that, but you, you're kind of like, uh, hmm, okay, it's, I kind of know what you're doing here, Kirk, but the yeah. uh, rhythm is somewhat off here. It's, 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 it's that kind of, it's that, yeah, that cut from them running around kicking down doors to, you know, uh, Chan having a little dip in a pool, and 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 you know. Uh, these guys just kind of just sitting there watching him, um, Fong Yao's character, mm. which is just a bit strange. Um, but I suppose it's bit... about the friendship and brotherhood being intact, you know. Even though you you get the sense that Norman Choi is keeping out of the business mostly and leaving yeah. it to Fong Yao's and Michael Chan's character. Uh, t- talking about Norman Choi, I mean, other podcasts are better at this, you know, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and Jake Obert podcast Without Honor and Humanity talking about the great uh, clothing and choices and hair in Asian yeah. cinema. But uh, you, you can't not notice no. Norman Choi in this movie. Uh, obviously, the movie is era-specific. It's not made to be like a 60s, 50s, 40s gangster epic. It's, it's 70s and early 80s. But Norman Choi... Looks uh, a bit tad more he's exotic. Ten years out. He's ten years out and a tad more exotic with his uh, moustache and hat, which is he fantastic. He is a stylish bastard, really is. He co- he looks like he just come up like some kind of an excavation in in Egypt or something. He looks like he's been <laughs> he's been he's been like kind of uh, pyramid hopping. You know, being on like some kind of, uh, you know, being on a cruise on the Mediterranean, topping up the tan, and then just checking on his brothers in, in Hong Kong, so you know, doing. 
<laughs> so um, yeah, he's um, it's a fancy world, but that still stands out as hey, he's doing his own thing here. <laughs> yeah, he's standing out. Definitely. But the brothers are intact. I mean, they meet. They don't. They, they own a high class restaurant and club, but they eat at noodle stores and keep um, occasionally <laughs> and keeping yeah, keeping it real and keeping a connection. You know, because they started yeah. small. So, uh, but um, on street vibe and on the club vibe, I mean, it's. Uh, that it cap- captures well, I mean, because it's not a studio-bound flick, this. It's, uh, it's cap- I mean, they probably shot at a real-life club. They obviously shot on the streets of Hong Kong. And that neon vibe is, uh, you know, it sets up, um, you know, it all very, uh, that it all, it all is a very fancy world, uh, but also um, kind of threatening worlds. So, I mean, it, the, the depiction here, if, even if it's, uh, the first one to do so or not the depiction here of the club life and the street life is uh, is pretty sufficient i mean I, I always liked the hong kong street vibe regardless of what movie we're talking about because i like the look of and feel of hong kong yeah definitely i, I, I agree i think um the low budget definitely helps it because in some ways i think the lack of uh numerous locations um also kind of heightens the drama mm-hmm. uh, because we, we don't have you know location after location we've got the club we've got a couple of offices um, we've got a couple of characters home it all seems like the characters live in each other's pockets and it's tough for them to kind of escape their lives and relationships with it with each other be them good or bad it feels like it's it's a tough world for them to just exit if you know what i mean it feels like they're in it now they're in it to win it and they're going to take the good with the bad um which I think, which I think helps it a lot, and I think the establishing shots. There's, there's a shot which glides kind of through the dance floor and picks up, picks upon each couple's conversation as it passes by, mm-hmm. um, which P- helps. PTA kind of... sold out for Boogie Nights, I bet. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it kind of helps to breathe life into the club and, and and give us the impression of the patrons, you know, that frequent it, um, along with you know the guys that work there. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we we. We say kind of it's not particularly, I mean, compared to what Kirk Hong probably would later go on to do, it's not particularly great, but it's definitely a shorthand at atmosphere here, hmm. which if that's the only thing you could take away from the film, you know, then that's that's a good one to take away. It, there is atmosphere and there is kind of aesthetic that, that definitely fits and definitely kind of feels authentic and rough and tumble, um, which and, helps. And, and within all of that, this is obviously the... Um the uh, kind of outside perspective and underneath it there's rumblings you know the the, yeah. the age-old conflicts in this case you know and uh, someone else wanted to wanting to buy the club and uh, there's tense rivalry building up and, and when i say tense it's not like nail-biting intense or anything but it's pretty decent uh, uh, when the violence hits it definitely flows better at this point it's sort of fragmented and slow but I, I do agree, Kirk has a, a grip on the atmosphere, and uh, and uh, that is a good like mark to give a new director. Uh, but it's also a valid criticism that I talk about as well. Yeah, definitely. At the same time, but uh, you 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 can't really criticize something like um, the Michael Chan morning workout <laughs> routine because it is pretty glorious uh, and eighties, <laughs> if you will. So you know what, Tom. Um, Share whatever thoughts you have on uh, the the scene that pretty much everybody remembers from the club. Michael Chan waking up and working out like a motherfucker. Well, after about the third or fourth time of you know masturbating over it furiously, uh, I actually <laughs> started. <Lord>. To think, 
I actually started to think what I actually thought of it. Um, your, your girlfriend's like in the background begging you, just watch porn for fuck's sake. No, this'll do. <laughs> <laughs> She's concerned. Very, very concerned. And there's no music in that scene either, which it, makes it very haunting if you do yeah, that at the same time. It just makes it weird. Uh, it was insane. I genuinely thought his neck was going to snap <laughs> at oh. one point during the montage because he's got... What could, I mean, the, the, the massive, like, ball, weight balls, ball weights that go around the back of his neck, and then he's kind of stretching his neck. I'm doing the, I'm doing the action. Ken, you can't see it, and listeners can't see it, but I am actually doing it. Um, stretching his neck. Uh, we also just get uh, sweat, uh, Michael Chan sweat. <laughs> There's a lot of moisture, and all of it very kind of without the music, very, very strange. Um it comes off as very voyeuristic for some reason. I don't off, know. It comes off as like Michael Chan as shy himself. He said, "Kirk, don't worry about it. I'm going to do this this morning." And I, I reckon. And you don't say no to Michael Chan either. <laughs> I reckon there's probably a four-hour version of, of the somewhere. <laughs> Three hours are just Michael Chan's work sequence, and Kirk was like, "Yeah, we really need to cut it down, Mike." Just, no, um, this is art. This is art. <laughs> Me kind of seeing my veins pop. That's art, all right. Better than Picasso, okay? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty good. He has really. Fuck, he will answer the phone with loud music on. He's having a party. He doesn't care who's calling. He doesn't care. He wants to listen to his Van Halen, no matter who's on the phone. Yeah, yeah, here's the thing. I always love that. I, I noticed that, obviously, the the um, scene is silent. And then when Michael is done, he puts on his um, you know tunes. And it, it is uh, the King song. You know, you really got me. But it's, uh, as you said, it's uh, covered by someone else. If it's Van Halen or not, I don't know. But it's not the King's version. And he puts that on, answers the phone. The music is blaring. And then he, like, turns it off. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> so, uh, I love the fact that he, he, that's, that's his tunes. Like, you'd think, uh, Michael Chan, yeah, there's the song. He, he likes Van Halen. He's a Van Halen man, clearly. I would, I would work out at Van least Halen that man. song. I mean, I, I, I hate, if I work out, I hate working out to, like, Beat, you know, beats or whatever, you know. I just like to work out to cool music, so, you know, why not? I like to work out to uh, porn music. Yeah, works too. It's limber. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> uh, so, that fantastic little sequence. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it sets up something, and but we, we carry... Not, you can't fuck with this guy, that's what it sets up. Yeah. Don't fuck with Michael Chan. And, uh, we carry it with us, so I, I guess that's uh, something valid. Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, Fong Yao character, Hon, uh, I, I like Fong Yao. He's not in the movie as much as uh, Michael Chan. Uh, he's, he's supporting just like Norman Choi is supporting, really. Uh, I like Fong Yao. He, he's the leader of that trio, really. He's the businessman, and he carries himself well, you know, uh, as the one in the group who wants to go a bit higher, and uh, he's, uh, he's sensing the steadily increasing danger, and... Uh, and they, I, I like him. It's not a revolutionary performance or anything. And I only mentioned Fong Yao to, 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 to gain the opportunity to talk a little bit about his directing career. Because uh, we've encountered him over at This Week in Sleaze. Uh, he's directed a handful of Category 3 movies, including Devil of Rape with uh, Charlie Cho and Hunting Evil Spirit. Both movies have the plot about Charlie essentially going out of his body to go have sex with, with other people in his tidy ways. Yeah, <laughs> a cinematic legacy by Fong Yao, but he's also on screen at other times. You know, he fights Michael Chan in Gangland Odyssey, the Andy Lau Alex Man 
Michael Chan, Gangland, Odyssey. I think they have like a sword fight or some samurai sword fight uh, nice. towards the end. And uh, that's the guy. There's another Gangland Odyssey with uh, Andy Lau and and or at least Alex Mann, I believe. Uh, and I w- when I always talk about this, I think there's a third as well. But the the, the second one I'm thinking about now that I'm, my mind is clear is with Alex Mann and uh, his either wife at the time or wife to be, like uh, Chen Yu or something like that. Uh, and then there's Andy Lau, Michael Chan, Alex Mann, Gangland Odyssey. You know, welcome to Hong Kong cinema. If there's an English title yeah. that is like punchy, you know, go for it. You know, in the nineties we have those who have days like seven or eight times. Yeah, so <laughs> so it's all, all good. Uh, you know, here we we talked about the workout montage being a memorable sequence, but the, in all seriousness, for the plot's sake, one memorable sequence is without spoiling anything. We'll, we'll keep it spoiler free. But the lobby attack that eventually yeah. involves uh, involves outboard motors, you know, boat motors. I, I, I like to talk a bit, obviously, but I wanted to mention something. This might just be because of the VHS um, transfer might be somewhat, uh, and the audio on it might be somewhat faulty. But regardless, what we get here is no score and the music, uh, rather, the sound gets turned up to the point where it's kind of, you know, you hear the hiss in the soundtracks, but you hear, you know, increased silence. Yeah, which, very atmospheric. I think which it, I think which makes atmosphere. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It makes for atmosphere and uh, ambience. And uh, then the attack by uh, two people, including Wilson Tong, happens on one character. So, um, uh, share your notes on this uh, lobby attack that ends on a pretty violent note. Yeah, I mean, as as, as you touched upon, it was quite. It's a cool, very quiet moment and quiet lead up. And I think when it does hit, it genuinely is is effective. But we get one of the first uses of very creative weaponry in yeah. this film which you, <laughs> which you get a lot of I think you said Ken it was, it was part of a boat I think it looks to me like grass trimmers like, yeah maybe like they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're out there looks like they just got from the shop and they bought some grass trimmers uh, they're going to do, the, the lo- do the lobby is kind of they do a murder first yeah that lobby is kind of being reconstructed too so it's a, like a, a it's a workplace yeah. too at the same time we get we get the suspense because because of the work happening outside which it's, it's a good I mean again like it's, it's a good kind of um it shows a prowess and a knowledge of what to do in the film to kind of build suspense and to have outside this kind of noisy thing that if anyone goes past this noise, they're not going to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is very effective, and what happens kind of past that noise also, you know, obviously kind of happens in silence, um, and it's a quiet thing, and I think that makes it the kind of the more eerie and kind of more kind of... Uh, Kind of sad in, mm. in some ways. It's definitely a, a sad scene, although quite, it's quite creative, and, and you kind of marvel at the fun of kind of these people using these weapons. It's definitely yeah. kind of a sad, but it's probably one of the most the, the best scenes in the film because it, it's effective and it's well thought out. It's well planned. Yeah, it's that's new slicing in the gangster genre, if you will, uh, a new kind of slicing and uh, yeah. chopping. And uh, you also get axes versus one of those uh, big ass. Uh, big ass fans, you know, on a stand. Yeah. So yeah. Um, <laughs> could probably like chop your fingers off at that because um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I like it. It's strangely quiet, as we said, and strangely more real too because of it, and definitely not too sexied up either. It's just violence. Uh, it's filthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And uh, on you know we we can mention really briefly one of the action directors was Michael Chan Man along with uh, someone called Lam Moonwa. So, um, you know, not a lot of martial arts 
exactly. in the film per se. It's more kind of sharper action. Um, so I mean, to, to comment on whether it's choreographed well is a bit difficult because you know it's it's chopper. It's people slinging machetes. Mm. It's not. It's not. It's not intricate action work, if you know what I mean. No, 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 no balletic aesthetic when things no, just uh, no, no. violence. This is probably the best example of it, uh, to be really honest. Uh, despite it being mid flick, and and because it's not that choreographed, I'm sure Kirk Wong had a hand in that vision as well, um, mm. because it's not that different from the movie that you know, uh, like the director had to step out and Michael Chan took over completely. I think they could have worked together on together, yeah. to to kind of. Um, the entire crew really to to kind of achieve all of that so uh, so 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 thumbs up it, it really works it really works not too gory but uh, where uh, the kind of money shot if you will is shot from the outside yep. but uh, it's uh, that's kind of why i agree it also makes it sad because uh, you know it's uh, that happened and it was pretty vicious and uh, it's all strangely quiet still and there you go Effective, very effective. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, the, the, this triad world, you know, has its fair share of characters, I suppose, but it doesn't seem like it. Uh, it doesn't seem like a big triad organization because at one point, uh, someone has died, as we alluded to right now. Uh, Michael Chan has gathered up, uh, maybe not all of, but, uh, you know, gather, gather up the men means a lot of them has to arrive, but it seems like Michael Chan only has about seven of them at his disposal yeah. and uh, and uh, they all wear their regular clothes you know there's no there's no bling in this movie no uniform no no, no uniform no cool jackets or anything you know they, they just turn up uh, they're regular dudes yes and that doesn't seem very threatening as such michael chan though because the way he carries himself is um is you know he is really tough in the movie. It's not like yeah. he comes off as an everyday man that happens to you know no fighting or anything. You know he he is pretty pretty kick kick ass in that regard and helpful too. He's the kind of the guy who needs to solve every conflict. You know if the girls have a conflict, uh, uh, the prostitutes at the club and all of that. You know he's there to solve it. So he's yeah. uh, he's on the floor. You know he's on the ground uh, and all of that. Uh, so, so it's all not—it's not very threatening. All of uh, this world, and, and you can kind of make fun, uh, fun of it, as I said, because of uh, the way the trial henchmen come off. But you—you uh, continually—you you forget about that. But you continually get uh, some some a pretty good stream of action. There's a garage attack and knife assault that is, uh, you know, gritty and suitably real again. Uh, so if they wanted to provide movie realism with. Uh, power uh, and not too much blood you know because you don't get that Shaw Brothers thing where as soon as someone is sliced they turn the camera and obviously they have the blood pack uh, you know exactly the blood pack in the you know around their abdomen, abdomen area and all of that and boom blood uh, it's not um, it's not that but uh, you, you know it's not a character movie Tom you would agree on that no. you know you don't really care for characters but you, you, you're into the plot in a general sense and the action in a general sense into the general, yeah, I mean, into the general kind of uh, gritty kind of nature of the film and the feel of the film and just see where that goes, really. Um, yeah, because, I mean, none of the characters are particularly important. None of the events that occur in the film are particularly dramatic or important either. It's mostly just kind of, they're mostly just ammo for, you know, the kind of the action to take place. Um, you know, the, the second, the second brother part, the, um, 
the, the normal Chew the normal Chew character. It just it just even though he's a stylish bastard and when he shows up, it's it's a laugh. Um, <laughs> it, it 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 just felt weak to me. I mean, I, I, a weak character. I almost felt like they had no idea what to do with him, so they kind of kept him on the back burner for the whole film mm-hmm. until it was time for the kind of final duel. Which just you know made me not give a shit about the character. So I think it, 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 that's that's the perfect example there of them not really putting a lot of thought into the characters, or they're there to serve a purpose really, and that purpose is to have this conflict with um, you know each other and other other characters, and the whole kind of you know conflict with buying and selling, um, and that's just, yeah, just really just ammo for kind of the fights to occur. Um, and, but I think the and, film, and, and as the, the plot said, sometimes. yeah, and the aesthetic is violence. I mean, as the plot said, that that's a, that it's excuse for violence. I mean, and that effect comes through on three, four occasions. Uh, not particularly the ending, to be real honest. But uh, you know, you 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 got the uh, attack it on the a bit of a mess, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. To, to put it lightly, uh, mm-hmm. but, but but the attack on the girls in the apartment is pretty. You know, uh, shocking, no, yeah. no, no, not mind-blowingly shocking, but kind of you know gritty and uh, and um, you know innocence get in the way of this conflict. I mean, at, at some point, at this time, someone gets uh, you know killed, uh, killed with a knife, knife stabbed with a knife. But before that, in a not very thought-out uh, <laughs> way, I suppose. I uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hairdryer <laughs> torture. You know, uh, the the bad guy who breaks into the apartment of the girls. Uh, put puts a hairdryer into the mouth of. Uh, Please girl. don't clean my mouth out. That will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you not... know, it, it's force feeding, I suppose, to a degree. But still, you just you know, take this hot air. <laughs> <laughs> You're burning my gums. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It, it almost feels like kind of a scene out of the film, really. To be honest, because it feels like very slasher esque with the uh, the shot that moves from one end of the house. Is it? I think it moves from the window to an open door or the other way around mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a good scene in itself and quite quite effective uh, yeah and quite shocking uh, these, these guys just kind of you know break in um, but it almost feels like again because you don't really care about the characters it almost feels just kind of like extra kind of weight to the film that's not particularly needed mm-hmm. because the characters are a bit like you know you, you don't really give a shit about them um, again it's just more kind of lead up to, to, to what happens afterwards but it's definitely mm-hmm. a good scene within itself but yeah, I mean, I think it's quite clever to think, let's use this weapon, but it's not particularly thought out in that when you kind of think about it itself, it's like, that's not, you don't see the on-screen um, power of the weapon, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You see it happening, but you don't see the effect and the power. She just kind of dies. Yeah. <laughs> which, is not, which is not particularly effective. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, for, um, again, briefly on the finale. I mean, it's a, it, it takes place in the club and all of that, and it's a chopper finale, and there's some punching and wrestling, if you will. Or, but that 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 was not very memorable to me. It's just a, a a big moving mess, which is obviously the point. But it didn't come through very well, and uh, I I kept thinking of uh, part of the ending of School on Fire takes place at a club, I believe. A lot better. <laughs> and, uh, that, you know, it, it's unfair to compare, but that, uh, that 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 was just a note that popped into my head. Like another good, like really violent, messy club scene, uh, or an actual good one rather, was in School on Fire. So I mean, it um, it takes a lot to be able to convey, um, you know, a finale conflict coming to you know coming to its, you know, uh, to its end here. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think it's the violence is probably better throughout the film and more creative. It, it just turns into a bit of a kind of messy 
I was going to say bloodbath, but it's not even particularly violent. It's kind of just the kind of messy, you know, and the fact that it's shot in the clubs on kind of dark kind of makes it a bit hard to kind of see at times what's actually happening mm. with each individual character, uh, be that because of the VHS print or, you know, or be that because, you know, that's actually in the film. I can't, I can't comment, but the print we watched, yeah, it was a bit difficult to see what was happening at times yeah. and thus kind of a bit, you know, you kind of lost lost interest a, a bit. So I feel like the rest of the film does the action a bit, bit better. I think I might say bit one more time. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, here, I mean, we we know in Hong Kong movies that when all the violence is done, the police arrives. But here, Kirk Wong probably because he couldn't afford any, you know, to to get any police cars, you know, uh, driving in the Hong Kong streets. He cuts to mid-fight to still images of police cars Strange. and the motorbikes on their way. So it seems like it's not a stylish choice. I don't think they could have afforded it, but they needed it in there. I think somewhere there's a kind of a demand that the police must be around somewhere to like take care of something. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange choice. Uh, but uh, it's effective uh, with the newspaper clippings at the end, though. Uh, it, it it made it all kind of documentary style, um, just as the movie is ending. And I was thinking of, uh, again, comparing to something else, uh, just like I did with School on Fire. But there's a movie called Secret Signs with uh, Max Mock, which is a tribe movie and all of that. I think it's an undercover cop movie. But it starts with this like 10-minute uh, shot on like 16mm black and white uh documentary slash mockumentary sequence about you know the nasty violent world of triads and you and you see seemingly real life crime photographs of 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 chopper action and it's uh in and and its effects you know what i mean when the police finds this bloody mess and all of that and they have at the tail end of it like a staged documentary with with, uh, uh interview rather with an anonymous triad member and it's a really like eerie kind of start to secret science that then leads into a pretty solid uh, undercover movie, uh, triad movie with uh, Max Mock. Nice. Uh, a brave choice. Uh, I really, really dug it. So uh, secret science, uh, look, look that up. Uh, that's the tail end of my, my notes. I have, um, I have. Well, well, I should just mention uh, before I do the availability and, and you share whatever you, you want to. Uh, Ken Cheng is in this movie quite briefly and uh, he's, uh, he's got a badass shaved head which uh, is probably due to the fact that he was shooting uh were going to shoot shot at the time or had shot uh dennis Yu's backwards uh horror movie the beasts which is uh, kind of hong kong's uh, closest equivalent to something like deliverance a really really effective god oh, as a nasty ass movie from the beast you know talking about the new wave really pushing it they pushed it for grit and violence, and the beasts is uh, that is, uh, you know, disturbing, borderline disturbing. And Ken Chang plays that character that you see in, you know, Last House on the Left and stuff like that, where a character that doesn't want to do the dirty, dirty deeds that all his brothers do and all his ga- fellow gang members do. You know what I mean? Uh, and really plays it sympathetically, really, really well. Uh, uh, but it's hardly in the club, really. So I can't say anything. But Ken Chang was in it. No, he's not a big role, but again, you know, like the rest of the film, a lot of the kind of characters don't really have time to shine, really, in terms of, you know, any particular individual character moments. It's all, you know, build up, really. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do the availability, do you want to state anything else? Do you want to say bit one more time? 
Bits. Bits. <laughs> yeah, uh, just, yeah, well, I mean, no wonder this hasn't had a decent release as the soundtrack must be murder to license. Uh, we get, you know, Dire Straits. Even more they, quiet on the soundtrack. Bowie. If they can't uh, license it, then it's all quiet. <laughs> just all silence, yeah. Dire Straits, Bowie. Uh, yeah, and we got the Cheap Tricks Gonna Race Hell, which is the main bass riff which opens the film. Uh, which is the, you know... Movitense is fucking kicking down doors, which which is awesome, and it's used a couple of other times in the action scenes, um, which is great. And it's actually a shame, really, that you know the action scenes aren't a bit better because I think that kind of you know Movitense kicking ass of that song is you know it, it only hints in this film at what could be. Um, you know, it's a shame that the action scenes are a bit more kind of you know potent. Uh, I think it'd be a lot more effective, and that's it. That's it, really. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the availability then. Uh, Ocean Shores had distribution rights in Hong Kong and it's their subtitled cropped presentation that is mostly in circulation on torrents and what have you and that's what we saw. And thankfully the subtitles as per Ocean Shores practice a lot of the time were reformatted for full screen so you get the entire row of subtitles and all of that despite it being cropped from whatever format it was shot in. But uh, strangely enough and this happened a lot with Ocean Shores uh, their laserdisc is cut and lacking subtitles, while the English dubbed and subtitled VHS release, because we got two, they were uncut. So it's yeah. ironic that the better format is actually the worst presentation, because it lacks violence and uh, obviously isn't uh, subtitled in English. Uh, Eastern Heroes in the UK released the movie subtitled in the UK. Uh, this had censor cuts. To what extent? I can't tell, because I couldn't find the entry on the BBFC website, strangely enough. And you always do. Even for the yeah, older so, stuff, but I couldn't yeah. find a club on there. So, but I'm, I'm thinking it has a few seconds taken out every, every, you know, here and there, and rather yeah, than yeah. being completely butchered, because as we said, it's not so, you know, supremely violent and gory or, uh, gory or anything, and oh, and all of that. Uh, but um, it's funny though. I, I think uh, we, we discussed this at some point uh, on the video. Uh, th- there's some outtakes from the club, and that's probably where I got this short like. Uh, video file from because it features like two three minutes of footage that i do recognize in the movie but there's some that's not in the version we have including a a couple of western girls stripping at a club or or that club and ken cheng looking on enjoying himself (laughs) Uh, not to that extent but he looks like he's a good time there's like a like a second of a Chan Wai Man sex scene and uh, a probably the hairdryer torture is a second or two longer in this clip. They, uh, they increase the heat. Uh, there you go. Good man. <laughs> uh, this might have come from another Ocean Shores version because they like they released sometimes different versions with different cuts uh, le- levels of cuts whether for reasons or just incompetence I don't know but uh, it, I, I think you told me that this was slapped to at the end of the UK tape, this like yeah, but apparently the, there was two. From what I could find, I definitely saw this first time via the Eastern Heroes VHS tape. But from what I've just researched, there's apparently two UK VHS releases, both by Eastern Heroes, one in Mandarin, one in Cantonese, one cut, one uncut, and one of the releases contained delete footage at the end of the tape. Oh, okay. Uh, I have seen one of these, which is how I first saw a film, but I can't remember for the life of me which one it was. Oh. Uh, I've only seen the cover for the subtitled version, but uh, I wouldn't be. Maybe there was a dubbed one as well by them. But um, again, if I could yeah. find the entries on the fucking BBFC website, we could have confirmed that because they it's would have listed. Yeah. yeah, 
they would have listed if uh, there were different language uh, versions released and um, all of that. So, uh, but but in circulation is the uh, subtitle they released and all of that, and it looks uh, looks fairly complete and all of that. It's pretty, it's pretty fine. I mean, uh, like a final note. I mean, it's it's hard to explain this. Speaking of VHS and how this movie looks and all that, and I, I suppose it's nostalgia. But I don't know how you feel, Tom. But I still feel more receptive. And I'm sure we talked about this. Uh, more receptive to certain movies in this quality, presented in this way, in this kind of transfer, which is all we had at the time and still have at this time. Uh, but it evokes nostalgia, I suppose. But it evokes like a more correct, in my mind, and they did in my mad mind, a more correct <laughs> grit. And I'm I'm glad in a way that the club is still presented in this way, that it looks kind of still gritty uh, it also is gritty but it, that it looks this way and i i don't know i i'm, I'm sure it's just my inferior format fetish but uh, i don't know it still makes me kind of like i like the way this looks and feels yeah i feel, I feel sometimes with kind of any any films any cinema i feel the the more low budget you get the more suited it is to kind of vhs format mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of seems to suit it a bit more, um, and I think it seems to kind of maybe possibly hide kind of faults the film would have um, mm-hmm. because of its low budget. Because you know it's it's kind of a bit, you know, it's a bit kind of muddy. It's a bit kind of you know we get the rewind lines, you know, the, <laughs> the you know the wear of the tape and stuff. And I think it feels like it kind of suits it more where your high budget stuff obviously benefits from your better formats. Um, so yeah, this this sits very well in VHS. I think possibly make the leads DVD or God forbid 1080p mm. uh, I think it would probably lose some of its kind of value you know the way it looks wise uh, yeah well, it's a case to case basis but uh, because I, I would have loved to have the comparison you know to, oh yeah to, I'd and, love to see it uh, but uh, you know I don't I, I, it's definitely not a chore to watch it this way and obviously uh, subtitles are there and um, and it's clear, it's clear enough and all of that so it's all good uh, so that's us for the first half of the show. Hope you enjoyed the club review discussion. After the break, we are going to talk about 1984's Lifeline Express, the horror comedy with Ken Cheng and Teddy Robin Kwan. So see you after the break. Welcome back, and we are going to discuss Lifeline Express from 1984 during the second half and plot from my review of the film. Ken Cheng is Fatso, who prays to Buddha for the well-being of his brother Tiger, played by Teddy Robin Kwan, who's on an operating table. But Ken Cheng gives away years of his life while praying to Buddha, and that wasn't the best idea. Uh, Tiger wakes up, you know, miraculous recovery, and fortune tellers start to spell out the final destiny of Fatso and he now attempts to perform rituals to salvage his life before his next birthday which is his expiration date now. It doesn't help that his non-believer brother is focused on getting girls for him and Fatso instead. So there you go. Horror comedy. Ken Cheng! 
one of the finest actors of Hong Kong cinema and recognizable obviously for his portly looks but uh, he's absolutely fantastic one of my favorites uh, started out in TV in the 70s being cast in what was called Hong Kong's first soap opera called Hotel kind of like good fodder for a soap opera what goes on in the hotel you know a 50 story hotel or whatever and <laughs> uh, he began frequenting film more and more as the 70s went on logging fine work in the mentioned dennis Yu's the beasts from 1980 again so savage that movie you know uh, mm-hmm. uh the, you know deliverance is not a f- unfair comparison but it's not a copy of deliverance uh, though but uh, that backwards kind of horror uh, uh, that deliverance did so well uh, the Beasts uh, is harsher than Deliverance, I, I, I gotta give it that, but uh, yeah, check it out, it's on DVD. Uh, he was in Kirk Wong's The Club briefly, as we mentioned, and logged work at Shaw Brothers, such as in Murderer Pursues, Mob Fix Patrol, but it became clear as the 80s went on for Kent, and certainly in the 90s, that versatility was what we would associate Kent with. He was cast in a variety of genres, not only comedy, comedies, but he's the unlucky fatty, again, that fatty fatso thing, it, which is Fei Fei in Cantonese, I believe. In some that. way, I think it's not very offensive, actually. No, it's not. In, in, it's... in Cantonese and the infliction that you put on it and all that. Because they call Samo Fatty and all that in tons yeah. of movies. And even like uh, Lydia Shum, the late Lydia Shum was called you know, Fei Fei. So it's not like they were bullying you know, mm-hmm. heavy-set people or anything. So it's some, it's, uh, it is kind of affectionate to some degree. Or, or, or just a fun fun thing for everybody i don't know but uh, uh <laughs> fat is a fun thing for yes. everybody. do it <laughs> uh but he's in he plays fatty in run and kill uh, the category three movie by uh billy tang very unlucky fatty in that black comedy he's the surgeon slash organ transplanter in sex and zen who translates a transplants a horse penis onto lawrence M's uh, character who wants to be more well Hung. and boy boy does he get uh, a prime example of that uh, he, he's he's a surgeon but he uses a little guillotine to you don't see this on screen but that's what he's going to do he puts like lures in this barrel uh, with a hole for his penis and he shows like this is how we're gonna going to take off your penis and he brings out this little little guillotine that is going to go snap uh, but but uh, but the operation is highly successful. So um, you know, Sex and Sand. It's a it's a fantastically fun comedy, and uh, Ken Chen is memorable. He plays, of course, Lam Sai Wing or Butcher Wing in the first and the fifth Once Upon a Time in China uh, movies. He returned for the role. He was the villain in Crime Story. Really effective uh, villain. You know, scary. Uh, that I don't know if it's fair to say that size helps, but regardless, you know, Ken Chen was a Pretty vile uh, and effective villain in Crime Story. Mm, Would you say, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah we'll, 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 we'll obviously get to Crime Story, but can't, um, yeah. Uh, just, a, just as a little little taster there, yeah, yeah, he's good in it. <laughs> and has a like a like a sleazy like sex scene with sex Christine in the lift, mm, yeah. in, uh, in the lift. So like, oh yeah, go Kent. Oh, yeah, go Kent. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> he's also the director and star of why me where he essayed the role of the mentally challenged fat cat which is uh, one of his signature roles that he's he's reprised twice on film in the sequel the beloved son of god uh, that he didn't direct with the uh, wuma and maggie chung and also in the jillian chung comedy happy go lucky from like 10 years ago the mm-hmm. character returned but he might have appeared elsewhere i don't know on tv and what have you <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't know if it's really a well-done portrayal of mental illness as such, uh, but it is effective, and I think it speaks to um, 
Kent's skills as an actor. That you kind of, you know, you can see that, but you can see that he puts, you know, a lot of into Why Me as well. And it's a, it's a dark, pretty melodramatic movie, but uh, I, I like it a lot. Mm. Um, and, you know, in general, uh, without, uh, without putting you on the spot or you providing a whole essay about him but you know is this the general thought as well of Ken Chang that he's a versatile actor you can always trust that he brings it he's, yeah I mean he's, he's in you know I, I said like everything like he's, he's done a lot he's done a lot of roles and and uh, I mean yeah just just thinking crime story he's very effective as that kind of you know corrupt cop kind of guy um, oh yeah that was it yeah. he could definitely do both and he can definitely you know have that intimidation there as well as here where you know he seems you know like Funny, kind of, you know, fluffy Ken Cheng, but yeah. you know, so like crime story, uh, you know, it can, it can be, it can be a bad guy. He's got that evil edge to him as well. So, a guy that you know, very versatile. Yeah, I, I, um, I remember talking about this at one point. Uh, he's, uh, he's in a fantastic movie called Mr. Sunshine, which uh, Philip Chan directed. Sick sound, comedy, a little bit of drama. Uh, was fantastic for that double act between Ken Cheng and Maria Cordero the singer of the Tiger on the Beat Tiger on Beat theme uh, mm. but she's done uh, she's done movies as well uh, and uh, it was a, s- a lot of stars in it as well a lot of cameos and all of that uh, a really sweet movie called Mr. Sunshine oh. and uh, I got the laser disc and they did um, a beautiful poster of it a painted posters with poster with like 20 30 characters on it and Ken Chang was his face was uh, rather his uh, head was you know enlarged you know painted in a big way and his body yeah. was smaller it was a very cartoony like uh, thing but it's not uh, like a great in comedy or anything and uh, shot and sync sound helps a whole lot and, and you know on the Mr. theme I think Kent did a movie he did a movie called Mr. Smart but I'm just checking if he directed that as well yes indeed he did Mr. Smart was just my memory of it is uh, two things. Uh, one, or three, that it was a good, sweet movie. Uh, Billy Lau had one of his rare, like, straight roles without any uh, detours into being wacky, uh, a la yeah. Billy Lau. But yeah. there was, uh, like, a building and not a, uh, like, forced romance uh, or infatuation between Ken Cheng and Rosamund Kwan's character. Uh, the the details of the plot I forget now it was years since I watched it but I remember it being so sweet and Kent playing it so sweet because when he realized that Rosamund did enjoy his presence and liked him he, he kind of there was a scene where he became very shy and kind of looked down into the ground and couldn't face that positive uh, feeling you know what I mean and he played that so goddamn well not a touching dramatic moment but just you know, those subtle touches that are visible. You know, you don't need to be a film scholar to kind of appreciate that. And uh, I, I really, you know, he is a fantastic actor and uh, and uh, can do all manner of roles. So, uh, I, no, those Mr. films are like do for rewatch for me. Uh, Mr. Smart and Mr. Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine was an Ocean Shores thing, so I don't think it uh, made it to... Um, Did he direct, direct that one as well? Mr. Sunshine, no, that was Philip Chan who directed Chan. that one. Nice, uh, yeah, so it just... Yeah, just just it uh, goes to show like, he's just a very versatile guy I mean, like, you got that sweetness as well there which yeah. is um, yeah it's not an easy thing to do balance both and and you have to put into meaningful roles as well because in in, in a kind of Hong Kong wasn't necessarily this but the, the movie industry can be very shallow and yeah. to put uh, people in meaningful roles uh, versus you know big stars or what have you it's yeah. uh, and, and to yeah. get like hints of a romance such it's not easy to like uh 
get done but i suppose him directing it and all of that uh, made him a bit of a more trusted force as well in the eyes of producers and, and mm. the studios and what have you that he can bring it as well as director so mr smart was on delta mac dvd and therefore in the star library so maybe that was put out on joy sales as well uh, in the legendary collection that is albeit not printed anymore but hopefully it got more releases than just the delta mac dvd that i that i own so uh, that's Ken Cheng for you. Uh, uh, somewhat smaller fellow is uh, Teddy Robin compared to Ken Cheng. But uh, here's a guy who's been around. Oh, has he been around forever? <laughs> you know, immortal. You know, singer, actor, composer, director. He was either born in 45 or 48. There's some conflicting reports there. But uh, he has enjoyed a career going on, get this, six decades now. Jeez, man. No, no, not Jeez. 60 years in total, but he's been around for six uh, decades. So. And uh, he rose to fame as a singer and guitar player of Teddy and the Playboys in the mid-60s. Just a fantastic group name, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, sweet, not like Teddy and the Playboys goes to Weekend, you know. It was not, you know, like that. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in terms of his film industry work, he entered it briefly as an actor and composer in 1970 on the movie The Price of Love, but uh, then emigrated to Canada for, for like nine years and returned in 1979 which is the year i was born so it's a great year great year to return <laughs> from uh, this point on he logged work in the fields that i discussed you know uh, actor acting composing singing and even producing putting his stamp on movies such as uh, alec chung's 1979 for helicopters and robbers where he appears as a bar singer in one scene uh, the cops go to the, their favorite bar and see their favorite singer and they sing along too their favorite song you know the, so it's um, that's what the teddy provides in that movie he produced um, i believe uh, again dennis use uh, backwoods uh, exploitation classics the beast and uh, the story of vuviet uh, for Anne hoy which was one of uh, chai and fat's earliest acclaimed roles in 1980 he debuted as director with all the wrong spies uh, where he co-starred with uh, george lamb uh, george lamb i don't like but i uh, haven't seen the movie so i won't judge the movie yet but I hate. I, I, it's not. Don't like. I hate George Lamb. He's <laughs> a worthless actor. He's <laughs> completely worthless. He's got, as John Charles said to me on a Taiwan War. You know, George has his limited uh, skills, and he puts them to use at least. And he's got, <laughs> you know, a nice mustache. So. That's pretty much it. Teddy, anyway, on the all the wrong spies, uh, received a best director nomination at the Hong Kong Film Awards for his work, and he made three more films as director: The Legend of Wisely with Sam Hoy. Shanghai, Shanghai with you and Pew. Did you see Shanghai, Shanghai at yes, any point? They're all right. Yeah, they're pretty. That and Legend of Wisely. They're, they're good, man. They're solid. They're not top tier, I don't think, but they're, they're, they're really fun films. And they ended his directing career with Hong Kong Graffiti in 1995, which is a movie I haven't seen. He continued to mix acting, producing, and composing, though, as that decade moved on, moved on the 90s. Uh, mm. Countless classics followed, so there's no use listing them all. But. Uh, it, Go, going back a little in his filmography, you can see him versus George Lamb in, in one of the better George Lamb movies. Uh, it was a UK set kind of comedy thriller, I suppose, called Banana Cop. Yeah, yeah, uh, London. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so I enjoyed that. He uh, he co-starred also in The Legend of Wisely, so he was on screen as well as directing. And he was part of the ensemble in Jacob Chung's uh, epic, and I say epic because it was a two and a half hour movie, uh, but really good. 1992 social drama called Cage Man, mm. and uh, it's a very good sing sound movie. Um, 
great cast, including uh, in uh, he did a few Hong Kong movies. Victor Wong from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Egg Egg Chen, a. Egg, <laughs> a. Egg Chen himself <laughs> appeared in a few Hong Kong movies. So uh, check out Cage Man if you can. It's not very available. It was a VCD out there and uh, and a laser disc as well. Nice. In uh, recent years, Quan has composed music and pro- uh, produced the Pie Dog and the Moss for Derek Kwok and Gallants as well that Derek Kwok co-directed with Clement Chiang and Gallants he appeared and got awards for his acting I think he received the Best Supporting act- supporting Actor Award at the Hong Kong Film Awards and the movie got the Best Movie Award that year Gallants uh, and uh, his music I think was nominated or awarded anyway so he's a strong force still with that just an incredibly long lasting career and still at it you know and um, still wants to create Mm. But what Gallants is and and what it does, I feel like we need to we need to do it on a show. We need to give it some spotlight. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. It's it's fun because it's directed by young guys who brought in the older guard to do the, to to do the story that they yeah. wanted, which obviously hinted at, I believe anyway, old school martial arts. But it's um, it has more than that and tries uh, some different stuff. So um, yeah, you don't get best movie randomly, uh, even though that was a, you know even though that was a surprise at that time. In Hong Kong. Don't, don't pull them out of the hat. They only yeah. do that at the Oscars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's uh, Ken Chiang and Ted Robin, and we are going to review Lifeline Express now. So in short, first, Tom, this, oh. uh, this is... Um, this is uh, let me just uh, prompt you a little bit in terms of... This is a genre bender. It, uh, it, it, it has a lot of mix. It's a mixture. So what did you think of the mixture in short, first of all? Yeah, it's... It, it, uh... It's it's kind of dry, but but tolerable kind of effort, you know. From you know Wong in, in a genre he's not normally associated with. Again, again, same with the club. He's definitely got a, a hand, a short hand, um, in directing these kind of two different genres here, where he plays with the comedy and plays with the kind of you know fantastical element. It, it, it possibly. A bit too like not a lot happens in the film, um, and and that could be possibly to its detriment. That could be possibly to its you know it, the fact that it could be it could be liked a lot. I think it, it doesn't. Uh, it's no, neither wacky comedy, nor it's neither kind of over the top you know kind of fa- fantasy. It's somewhere in the middle, and because of that, it's kind of a fence sitter for me. Mm-hmm. All right. It's on a fence a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tend to some I understand, but I tend to somewhat disagree because I think it's a really fun genre bender with that very tuned sense of providing the right atmos in. But that that plays that plays well for me in terms of the horror and drama and comedy. I, I think it just hits all the right notes. But uh, it's uh, I can agree I can agree on dry. I realize completely what you're saying that it's uh, it doesn't uh, it isn't loud as such in each like department if you will but uh, all of that adds up to uh, I'm, I'm seeing uh, Kirk Wong having greater confidence in sitting in the directing chair uh, based on the uh, the excursions here in this one uh, well we, we start from the beginning uh, it has akin to the club like uh, uh, documentary style opening like an odd opening uh, it's a slight carryover from the club who opened in sepia tone and, uh, and uh, we see seemingly real torture footage we see chinese water torture disasters. we see disasters and formula one accidents and and uh, unfortunately and expectedly none of this is subtitled because they really did that while the credits rolled 
uh, and they only start once the credits are over and we realize at this point that Eddie Coe's character is holding a lecture and screening this footage and uh, pro talking about you know, fate and disasters and what have you. And, what have you. And, and this starts a discomfort in the movie because we cut to an operation room with a doctor launching a needle into a patient violently. It's like, whoa! Oh, okay, part of the procedure, fine. I'm not a doctor, but that looked um, like uh, overkill. That very looked undoctorish. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, it uh, it it settles down obviously, and we get the first taste of the actual content and the plot, dealing with belief and superstition and how to possibly reverse your luck and your ill fate, and uh, and and obviously, it's not. It's not too Chinese, this, for us to understand, because you always pray for your loved ones in some way during crisis, and we see Ken Cheng, Ken Cheng's fatso do so for his brother, but here's where Kirk Wong also, he, he, he doesn't go for melodrama here, he goes for a little bit of comedy, because Ken Cheng, you know, he prays for a positive outcome, but when he doesn't get uh, treated with uh, the outcome that he wants as he... Uh, throws those little pieces to the ground that's supposed to flip in some way if it's uh, positive and flipping and if it flips in another way it's negative so he's like starts arguing with buddha at this point come on come on <laughs> <laughs> so i mean uh, i don't know what that sets up for ken Cheng's character but, but i think um did you know is that an instance where you thought the movie was kind of dry when you now look back on it is that, is that dry part of the dry comedy for you or or is that yeah i think it's almost it... I almost want to say that it's effective because it doesn't get too manic. It kind of stays kind of in reality almost, and we don't get these kind of massive, you know, slapstick set pieces that we're kind of beating over the head with. It's quite subdued. So in some ways, it, 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 it's effective because of that. We can, it, it's kind of like um, it's it's kind of it's kind of soft. Kind of it's it's nothing too out there. It's too zany. You know, yes. Exactly. You know, we don't get any of that. And I think because of that it's quite effective but by the time we get to the end of the film and that kind of the, the the whole kind of fantastical elements get played in possibly i think that doesn't work because that's possibly too subdued so whereas the comedy being subdued works the fantastical elements maybe not i still feel like they work mm. um but maybe not in tune with the kind of the subdued nature of the rest of the film mm. somewhat possibly and, and, and at this point in the movie we still don't Firmly get where he's going because no, uh, it it does it's it's it, it's 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 not it's not I wouldn't say it's it's because it's hinted at the whole way the whole the kind of you know we get the religious aspects and 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 the kind of almost fantastical elements with him you know speaking to this guy and, and that whole thing happening that it doesn't come as a massive shock when at the end we get kind of you know this scene um, it it feels definitely feels natural to the film and a natural development um, to the mm -hmm. film but I think those scenes themselves maybe don't quite meld with the subdued nature of the rest of the film and I, I, I'm, I'm, I can see that I still am so on board with every choice mm. that is in here I mean in my mind there's confident, more confidence behind the camera and there's a, a progression here you know, there's definitely it, confidence and there's definitely progression I can definitely agree with that it, because this is actually his third movie we, we, we will cover his second movie in the second Kirk Wong episode so we skipped one movie and uh, uh, so there is something lurking here, uh, and obviously there's comedy angle here with the different brothers, you know, one big, one small, but he isn't, again, doing the obvious IR thing. <laughs> uh, 
uh, they, they just uh, they are different brothers in terms of confidence and all of that. Teddy Roman Kwan is a player, you know. He, he can get the ladies, at least he thinks so. You know, yeah, he, he has the confidence. And you know, cut to a boom in the in the hospital. All of a sudden, it seems like the movie has turned into a zombie movie because all of a sudden a patient that everybody thought was dead is walking about and Teddy Robin, you know, pushes Kent into the fray there, you know, prove your worth, save the girls. And it's like, it's very odd, you know, you know, realistic and odd and it's it's not the same kind of feeling you get from outrageous elements in other Hong Kong movies. This is like, is it really? But it is, huh. It's, and, not, uh, it's not so much zombie, it's more, oh, there's a zombie there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Dead guy walking around there. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good kind of tease, but still kind of not for what's to come. For, because what, yeah, what's to come is, uh, it, you know, if anything, if what's to come is horror. And this is an example of this, even though it's uh, not like a plot, you know, catalyst or anything. So, um mm-hmm. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I thinking, I'm thinking, like, the film talking about it now is confusing me itself. Like the fact, the fact. <laughs> I think I thought I'd made my mind up on it, but I don't know whether I have yet. I mean, I think the dry, the the the, the dryness kind of almost helps it because of the the kind of subdued nature of everything. But because of that, it's not like a, a ride. It's not a, a kind of a, you know an, an adventure to kind of go along. This film, it's more kind of like the, the stuff plays out and it's enjoyable. Rather than there's moments that really kind of, you know, excite you or anything. Mm. The, the the thing is, Kirk is doing, and you've seen your share of Hong Kong movies, so you know that what Kirk is doing here is different to a, what a lot of people did, Definitely. because it's not recognizable what we're seeing here. Like the, this is not the rhythm I know, but to yeah. me, that kind of at least, uh, you know, by the end when I could sum it up, is really interesting. That mm. uh, he went the routes that he did, you know, and uh, where did it come from? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there were moody horror movies like at that time, you know, Possessed uh, and The Rape After, which is this uh, more more uh, Rosemary's Baby possession kind of movie than a rape movie. Yeah. Um, fantastic, though. Uh, but it's still a small company that Kirk Wong is joining, although it's not yeah. really joining those movies either, you know. Uh, um, so, But I'm also glad that the movie seemingly deals in very... Uh, Asian superstition, but is uh, quite accessible at the same time, be- oh, be- yeah. Yeah, because they don't they're, complicate. Everyone can it. relate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the the like routines and rituals may seem very unique, but we can relate because they're conveyed well, at least. The, the, uh, the themes of you know wanting to you know pray for your family, you know, universal, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and kind of wanting them to come back and, and kind of putting yourself on the line for family, you know, universal. So. I think uh, no matter what religion, um, you know, this could be a Bollywood film. No matter mm-hmm. what religion, those themes would be universal for everyone to kind of accept. But uh, okay, that's horror, a little bit of drama. Uh, as you know, this fate starts to play out that Ken Chang has, uh, you know, given away half his life to save his brother to to the, to the gods. You know, people start to see that, and the co spots it uh, at the beginning of the film him walking past and then we don't see Eddie Cole for quite a while there's an Indian guru that guru that spots it uh, and uh, even when he's uh, you know he spotted uh, he's on the toilet I suppose and he spotted having a small dick in the men's room and this drunken guy says your life is short so it's kind of like 
oh my god, the signs are everywhere, you know, even that guy yeah. seems random, you know, in the whole scheme of things. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a, um, it's, it's kind of a nice, uh, it's, a, it's a commentary, <laughs> almost, on the rest of the film, the penis size. Mm. But, <laughs> a, um, a taster of things to come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, do you, I'm sure you remember uh, one of the most memorable characters, um, supporting characters is actually the abusive fortune tellers <laughs> so yeah. the, the one that he goes to uh, and and th- that is literally a, an abusive fortune teller so do you want to talk a little bit about that scene that uh, kent and teddy robin go to because uh, he needs to have his fortune read to kind of figure out what's going on and uh, he, he gets it in a harsh way he needs to have his fortune read he's also told exactly what to do what he needs to do uh, to, 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 to revert to this to revert uh, kind of yeah his fate and um, he's also told that he can't have any sex so basically if he's got any pornos he's better off giving them to the fortune teller <laughs> to keep hold of <laughs> and to look after <laughs> um, and I think uh, yeah Teddy Robbins character is, 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 is in the right to kind of be a bit sceptical of this guy and be a bit like you know I think at one point he, he, he shouts at Ken Cheng for um using all his money and and you know uh, loads of spending loads of money on this guy and trying to sort it out which is quite which is quite a good scene which um which which is quite uh is nice it comes in the middle they're quite you know nice scene between the brothers um but yeah basically the, the, the whole the whole the whole gist and where this end, ends up getting to is probably the best set piece in a film which is probably uh Kent's do, character do, 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 uh, by the way let, let's go back a little bit to the uh, before that set piece uh, because within this scene, uh, the dry comedy is very well handled by Kent yeah. because he, he's so odd and sincere in his way. You know, uh, the questions he asks when when uh, when a fortune teller says uh, you can't have sex. Well, can I masturbate? Well, it depends on what porn you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and what what is the porn that he got? Uh, you know, uh, so do you remember that? Is it the, the Japanese? Um... Japanese is it Japanese, Japanese? Yeah, yeah, Japanese teenage uh, <laughs> stuff. What, what? So and, and that and that interplay between them is wonderful because you ask like, can I masturbate? Well, uh, what kind of porn do you got? Is it hard or soft? Well, it's quite kinky. It's Japanese teenage stuff. And as you said, well, I'll hold on to that for you. It's better. I didn't want to say anything then because it might make me look like a pervert. What's this? What's this you're on about, Ken? <laughs> Japanese what? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, which is which is which is quite comedic. Which but but dry as well. Do you remember that? Well, it's like, kind of it's... like not played up. Oh my god, I can't master. Oh my god, I can't. It's it's nothing like that. You know, it's, it's questions you'd ask if you're in the same position. You'd ask. You want to know exactly what you know what the crack is, what the deal is. <laughs> um, yeah. But that eventually leads into the set piece, which has Ken visualizing. Kent visualizing how this this kind of walk he has to do, mm-hmm. which which the fortune teller doesn't do, where he has to go on this walk, he has to do certain things, and he, the best thing is visualizing in his head how it plays out mm-hmm. soundly. It all goes perfect, and then when he actually gets to do it, it all goes tits up, and he <laughs> and he's kind of struck with all these these problems. And uh, it's for me, it's probably one of the best scenes of the film, and a good a good um, example of the the kind of downplay comedy in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's wonderful to compare because uh, the the best piece of uh, example where it all goes wrong at, at one point he has to stop and laugh out loud at, at, at point <laughs> yeah. and where and where does he uh, end up stopping? 
funeral. Yes. <laughs> and he laughs in their face, and he has to. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Also, because he thinks that he drops his wallet as well, which he thinks initially that he's going to get try and stop for rent, is it? That the guy's going to try and stop him for rent. Um, and then, like, when it actually plays out, he just ends up dropping his wallet. So the guy's running behind him going, you want it, you want it. <laughs> and he's just running away from, <laughs> from him because um, he, th- he thinks it's going to go in how he planned it in his head. Uh, and he eventually he's arrested for streaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you could you almost think that that, that, that fortune teller is putting his leg <laughs> by letting him go on this walk. But it's probably you know, needed and all of that. And and again, no sex. And what happens? Teddy Robin Kwan invites girls to the apartments. It's like, uh, which, uh, which, which is in a scene which the so-called striptease, which we find out you know is something else, is the worst striptease I think I've ever seen. And it feels more like three moms dancing at a wedding to the Flashdance soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> it's very unerotic <laughs> and it's more like them just doing a bit of a jive behind a curtain <laughs> not particularly great <laughs> but it all then leads into again we talked about horror drama and comedy and what i think works here as as you know because the, the, this doesn't seem to work for kent and he starts to feel very alone in his process you know because his brother doesn't believe it and, and they, they, there's some emotions there as he feels you know very alone and um and um on, you know, on his own, he, he can't get any help, and uh, and it seems like he has to resign to fate, and uh, and you know that that leads into you know a hospital stay that we won't uh, reveal the full details of because there's some great surprises here, and he, and Ken Cheng's character essentially goes nuts, and uh, he is lying in bed and talking to his brother, you know, in this kind of dazed about state and what have you, and he says like my parents were here. They've invited Bruce Lee and Peter Sellers for my <laughs> next afterlife birthday. And obviously that sounds nuts, but uh, we're not quite sure if it is nuts or not. We don't see it on screen, but there might be a point to this, that uh, that he might have seen his parents, but the dialogue about they've invited Bruce Lee and Peter Sellers for my next afterlife birthday, that might not have happened. So, you know, clearly Teddy Robbins sees that his brothers, you know, this is not fun. Any anymore? It might have been fun at one point, but now it's going serious. Yeah, and and that starts to then 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 Kirk Wong and I love this part of, part of the movie evokes horror akin to you know uh, there's a we won't reveal it too uh, really too much, but there is I don't know I kept thinking of the surprises we get here, which are very good surprises, a body horror gory type of uh, surprises yeah. and visions, nightmares visions. It's Nightmare on Elm Street sprang to mind, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I don't think it's, it's as wacky or as kind of out there as that, but it definitely kind of hints at that. Yeah, and uh, because the the surpri- one of the best surprises involves a piece of cheap nudity that we like get to, you know, we we we're, we're surprised that where that scene goes instead though <laughs> mm. uh, that left turn is fantastic uh, might have yeah. been stolen from some other movie but let's say it, no more <laughs> exactly so you never know but uh, uh, I actually I don't know if, if you felt any emotions as such but I, I think this what do you think of the movie turning kind of deadly serious at this point where it seems like he's he's starting to leave you know he started to like resign to fate and I'm, I'm gone and now it's just horror. Yeah, again, it, it it feels kind of natural and and like I said, like with the scene between those those two kind of two words early in the film, where they're kind of shouting at 
you know, Teddy's character is kind of shouting at Ken Scout for, 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 for spending money on this and doing this. And he turns around and says, you know, it was for you. You know, I, I did all this for you so I could get you back. And I'm in this mess because of you. And I think he has that realisation. And it, it does get, you know, emotional for a bit. And again, it, it's very subdued and very kind of feels part of the film. It doesn't feel like it's kind of going out its way to be anything bigger or better. Or it, it, it doesn't kind of separate itself from the main, you know, main skeleton of the film it's all very very natural and very natural kind of um dialogue and emotions there mm. uh, yeah, yeah. Kirk, Kirk is never making fun of these beliefs though which is no, a good no, thing no, no, or no, the no. predicament as such there it keeps there's it no commentary here there's, there's no commentary on this guy's wrong or this guy's wrong it just it just happens and and yeah. it's good it's a good exam kind of examine examination of two brothers that are on different side of the tracks in terms of their you know religious belief and and mm-hmm. what gets there but in the end they're both in it together um no, no matter what to kind of see it through and, and sort out what needs to be sorted out mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah very effective yeah we, we we it's a good uh, point to round up but uh we got to get a good mentioning of uh, Edico as uh, you know the priest mm-hmm. that uh uh, you know, the second priest or fortune teller or professor in this case, yeah. uh, maybe to help uh, that helps Kent. And uh, uh, I could see if because Edico was a working actor, I could see Edico be in one of those Mr. Vampire copies and play the Lam Ching Ying role because he has that mm. uh, presence of weight to him. Uh, I would have had a spin off series, man. Yeah, we should have had a spin off series. So, uh, but but alas, uh, no. And uh, but uh, Eddie Coke really does wrong. I really think he's uh, and he's good here. I mean, uh, I, I was like uh, Eddie has um, I don't know an intensity about him. Um, mm. uh, he's just I don't know. He, he's uh, he's very there. He's very present. Uh, and uh, it's a good he's got eyes. Eyes, isn't he? It's, it's, he's got yeah. these kind of stark, kind of like big, kind of piercing eyes. And I think mm. he used them to his advantage. And and that doesn't mean he doesn't necessarily gets uh, a bad guy role. So no, he uh... casts a rapist like every <laughs> every film. It just <laughs> you know it works. It, it works in kind of many ways. It just brings out kind of a, a personality trait into him. He brings to his acting. Mm. Oh holy shit! I might be wrong, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna put myself on the spot, and maybe you would have spot. Wasn't Eddie Coe in Lethal Weapon Four? Yeah, oh, fuck. He played like an yes. immigrant or something. He did. He did. He did. He was he's part. He was the immigrant dad, I think, possibly. Yeah. I think there's a lot of kind of uh, Hong Kong guys uh, in that film. I know it's Conan Lee in it as well. Yeah, he plays Jet Li's brother in Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie Ko, yeah. Hong. Yeah, he's, he's the dad, I think. The dad of the yeah. kind of the, um, the immigrants. That was yep. kind of cool. Like Eddie Ko in an American movie for a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a big one too. You know, not just, you know, uh, B-action or anything. So, so uh, that's the tail end of my notes. Do you want to say anything else before we do the availability? Um, what else have I got? We get, oh man, we uh, we get commentary on occupational hazards from a man of medicine who declares he heard a jerk kiss the cunt, swallowed a false teeth and died. So, <laughs> I mean, lads, be be careful in the presence of cunts, uh, just to let you know. Uh, the subtitles <laughs> are pretty, um, very uh, U- UK-ish, U- Ish, UK, yeah, um, yeah. UK uh, slang or what have you. And, um, I'd say so. Uh, let me introduce you, my wife and slut. Yeah, yes. Well, which is it's a bit strange. It's a bit strange, but um, I don't think yeah. that's a correct uh, translation. No, it was I don't, not, I, that was I not a joke. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just just to sum up the film, I think it's definitely um, 
effective and I think it works because it never gets too manic on its own basis but because there's nothing zany and nothing big in this film it's going to be a hard sell to, to people um, tough sell to say oh you need to see this because there's this and this and that with a lot of kind of you know HK films of this ilk um, it's going to be a tough sell because it doesn't contain any of that it's more kind of a subdued tale between two brothers you get a bit of this you get a bit of that Mm-hmm. Um, and it's effective, and I think it's, it, its effectiveness, it, sadly to say, might be to its hindrance in people seeing it because it doesn't contain anything big or quirky or you know, kind of you have to see this. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, it's hard to quote it as such because you do—you mean the moment that I'd like to quote, I don't want to spoil. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> true as well because it feels—it's more kind of in tune with the plot, so you don't want to give it away. Mm. So I, I think when you sit down, sit down and watch it. You, it's it's a good it's a good film to sit down and watch. I think it's an effective film to sit down and watch, but it's tough from an outsider's perspective to get mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, it's not that it's very it's very uh, forced to sell it on from the director of Crime Story yeah, at the club. They're like, huh? Comes <laughs> <laughs> <Because> this? <laughs> One of the guy you got his fingers chopped off in the Birkin. Comes <laughs> <laughs> Lifeline Express. <laughs> Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I really like it. Uh, that that for for those reasons, the mixtures that it provides just plays well with me. And um, not not that I like am the biggest, you know. Champion of everything needs to be dry, you know, but it's just hits for me like all the right notes. Like I, I dig the atmosphere so much and the and the developments that happen. So uh, and and they all seem to flow into each other strangely well, although they probably shouldn't be able to. Yeah, dry but effective, like a mm. like a cracker. Yeah, there you go. There's the review quote for the DVD. So. <laughs> Alrighty, availability though. Uh, it was put out on VHS, that's the version we watched. Uh, also VCD by Delta Mac and VCD by Joy Sales, but I couldn't get a hold of those. So, But I'm not sure DVD ever came out by Joy Sales. Um, now that I think of it, I think one of the Facebook um, Facebook guys in the group said there was a Joy Sales DVD, but that's uh, not uh, uh, easy to find because the legendary collection by Joy Sales isn't printed anymore. So. Um, so uh, we've only seen the VHS, the full screen VHS. So I would love to see the DVD at least in widescreen or, or VCD in widescreen. Uh, it's on YouTube though in widescreen, but someone uploaded it with uh, both the Cantonese and Mandarin audio playing at the same time. Schoolboy error. So uh, <laughs> so you, you gotta unhook one audio cable or rebalance your audio so you can hear it in intended Cantonese. Uh, so uh, but. Uh, that's it. that's it for Lifeline Express in this episode. We consciously, as I said a bit earlier in the show, skipped 1983's Flash Future Kung Fu. But that's only because we wanted to dedicate an entire episode to it. And that will be the next episode. And the guest host we're planning to have on adores Flash Future Kung Fu. And he's going to help us structure the episode, research it thoroughly, and kind of go gaga over Kirk Wong's low-budget sci-fi action undefinable weird thingy. <laughs> with uh, again you can't really define it uh, with uh, Ray Loy Edico and uh, Johnny Wang so uh, that, that'll be interesting I, I've seen it once and uh, I, I can't for the life of me like recap it easily because it's uh, it's pretty wild but maybe subdued as well so it's mm. but uh, again my memories are very very sporadic yeah, I liked it though I do like it nice. it's creative it's creative that, that, that I remember from so, yeah, on a low budget and all of that so uh, kind of co- compared to Blade Runner in some respects, um, but it's not, again, like a remake of Blade Runner or anything. 
Now, so, that uh, would be interesting to see. That would be interesting. I would, <laughs> I would pay to see that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ken Chang as the dirt. <laughs> and maybe Teddy Robin Kwan playing the, like, um, uh, Edward James Olmos role. You know, the guy who leaves little cranes. That would be Teddy casting, Robin, yeah. Man. Interesting casting. Who would, be, who would be Sean Young? Maybe Rosamund Kwan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we so, could do this all day, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and and maybe bring in James Hong actually to to uh, well, recast in that role. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's next episode. This has been the director's series on Kirk Wong, the first of our of our episodes on Kirk Wong on the Podcast on Fire Network website, podcastonfire.com. You'll find this show and all the other bonus episodes on there and all the other shows, obviously. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com is our email. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Click and like, click the link on that page to access the Facebook group. Or just type in face, uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. And hit us up on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My writing and video reviewing is at sogoodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com. And my tweets are at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. Subscribe to the director series on iTunes. And if you like this show and Kirk Wong and what have you, or Nam Night Choi for that matter, leave us a little comment and rating and we would very much be thankful for that thank and you, you hmm? thank you I, I thought you said oh poo leave us poo leave us poo we're gonna send you poo leave us poo in the itunes mail box I don't know. <laughs> and uh, you can stream our shows as well on stitcher if you don't like downloading them to your preferred device download the application to your iphone ipad or android and even blackberry and once you're in stitcher type in podcast on fire network and that will get you the option to add each show including the director's series and plug a little bit your endeavors over at the excellent the cinema show.com it's very like uh, timid about it I, I, I write stuff but when you write which is sporadically you write very well tom <laughs> like looking into the ground, like dragging your feet on the floor, like oh, that's cool. It's all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this has been the director series on Kirk Wong, the first one. So my name is Kenny B, and uh, with me was Tom K W. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. <laughs>